Hello, my name is Aisha Khan, and I am a host of Iconocast, the companion podcast to Western's arts, culture, and politics collective, Iconoclast. I have Danielle Solo with me here today. A Western student, Danielle is a talented poet and has been a longtime contributor to Icon and is just as excited as we are for our upcoming publication, Mythic. So, Danielle, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? <laughs> I'm good. I was wondering if you could tell us a little more about yourself, Danielle. Um, how do you sum up your wonderful personality in a few sentences? Oh, gosh. Um, I, for starters, I never shut up. And then people started telling me to shut up. So I just put it on paper and hoped it worked out. <laughs> I used to describe my work as like a romantics poet, but like spoiled by teenage angst. And uh, I think that's the best description I've come up with so far. So we'll go with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm going to get straight into it. Danielle, sure. your poem, Here See, in Icon's last semester issue, Hyphen. I was speechless after I read it. So it's very connected to religion. And I also read Prophet in the upcoming issue, Mythic, which also draws from a biblical story. So what I want to ask is, uh, where does that impulse come from? And what's your relationship to religion? Okay. So I was baptized and confirmed Roman Catholic. So I was just basically like raised and steeped in that culture. It, you know, like it's very ritualized. And I mean, Catholic school kind of explains itself. <laughs> um, but my family's very, very hypocritical when it comes to religion. So my mom's side is Roman Catholic. That's where I was raised. And my dad's side is like Anglican and other forms of uh, like Catholicism or Christianity. And so growing up, it was very, very prominent that you had to follow what the Bible said. Like as a woman, you can't dress scandalously, obviously. You can't swear. You know, you're a woman. So you graduate high school, you get married, you pump out a ton of kids and hope it works out. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So I kind of just started not paying as much attention to it. Like it just didn't vibe with me very well. So, you know, I came to Western. I didn't really go to church. I didn't really do anything religious anymore like I used to have to pray every night like that was a thing that, like my family would come up and make sure you were praying every night and um, yeah, I just stopped doing that and then I kind of got into like just mysticism and different kinds of religion just exploring really in second year and I kind of came back into the Roman Catholicism but in kind of what I call an eccentric way so I mean I definitely believe in like the Roman Catholic God Jesus all of that stuff but I also don't necessarily think that everything in the Bible has to be taken literally so I mean there are forms of like what you could call witchcraft in the Bible like in terms of like prophetic visions with Ezekiel but that's really condemned in the um, Catholic tradition and just parts of it that it fit with me I took and then what didn't I just kind of cast aside and then whatever like interested me from different religions like even ancient Greek polytheism I just kind of like looked into that and whatever you know fit I just kind of smushed together so that's, I don't know I don't know if that answers the question no it's uh, <laughs> definitely like it's brave I think it's very brave because uh Growing up, I mean, as a university student, like, we're so young. It's crazy how um, your father's side had another thing, your mother's side had another thing, and you yeah. really, you're, you're at odds sometimes, especially with, like, the world today, and then yeah. with what you believe in, it's like, and you are honestly brave to just oh, thank take you so what, much. what you need. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I was just kind of, like, rebelling against what strict rules were put in place, because I just, I don't fit well in a box, and okay. I don't like being told what to do, as cliche as that sounds. <laughs> No, it's very, uh, those views, um, prim, proper. I see that because uh, in our last year's issue in Quiet mm -hmm. Riot and how to nicely reject boys and hair, you artistically convey the sentiments that, 
like many women go through in their lifetime and yeah. they are influenced by their society they're influenced by culture they're influenced by religion and like it's this mix that give birth to um the ways in which we're supposed to act yeah so um it's a universal struggle and that's sad because whatever should be a blessing in our lives ends up becoming a curse exactly and now be it our hair be it our bodies a woman is treated like an object and then she's expected to be nice to i don't know i'm gonna call them predators as you did <laughs> <laughs> and to be silent and so what i want to ask you is um can you speak to that why is this uh, something that needs to be talked about whether it be through the religious lens a cultural lens a societal lens why, why is this this is important to you because yeah. it's something growing up you've been told that oh I, I'm guessing you have to yeah. sit properly like a lady oh you yeah have to, oh yeah. gosh <laughs> if my like legs weren't crossed at the knee my mom would force them at the knee oh my like, goodness I went to school once and I didn't shave my legs because I was just like this is stupid this is just a rule and I don't want to follow it because like my legs are soft screw it <laughs> and she was driving the car and literally she pulled over like with one arm and she was shaving my legs as she was driving because oh, she was Lord. not going to let me go to school with like legs that had hair on them even though it's blonde so you can't really see it so yeah it's <laughs> it was definitely like very very strict and uh no you you, you can't really do too much <laughs> so because of your experiences is that what comes out in how to nice to reject boys and hair yeah that's kind of a mix of like just rules implemented in childhood of how to be ladylike how to be proper you know like you're like this soft gentile woman and you have to be like just servantile essentially even though my mom claimed she was a feminist like gender roles were very much implemented but at the same time too like within my own personal life within work life like you name it men are essentially as like as you said that I put it uh, predators like I can't go to work without being grabbed at I can't walk down the street without being catcalled like even right now in my purse I've got pepper spray and I've got two work cutters just in case like it's something you become very very hyper aware of very fast you kind of learn that you have to defend yourself because nobody else is going to especially like if anything happens and you go to people you trust and they don't support you like that is a very real risk so in the end of the day like, you have to look out for yourself. If you can't, you don't know what's going to happen to you. And if you don't have a stake in that, that's very, very dangerous, I think, at least. <laughs> I'm gonna, I've said it three times. I'm going to say it the fourth time. You're very, you're very brave and courageous for, for being able to, to not only um, talk about what you've been through, reject what you're seeing, but also... I, you're really helping other people because you're giving them oh a voice, too. Oh, my God. That's, like, are, way, they, way too much for No, no. If they're reading this and, like, they, they see themselves in your work, I yeah. just... Whether they tell you or they don't oh, in gosh. their heart, you know, I I think it's it's wonderful. So oh, how do you speak lot. to that? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, a lot of my work comes from personal experience. And the first publication that I actually bothered to send something out for was for Symposium, if you know Symposium on campus. And it was in my first year, the fall semester. It was called Cage Bird. And to this day, I cannot look at it because I cringe so hard. I'm just like, oh, that's... I've developed so far from that. I just, I don't want to look at it. Let's toss it in the bin. But, <laughs> but yeah, like that was essentially just a description of something that had happened to me. And I wasn't planning on doing anything with it. I just kind of wrote it. And when I was looking for something to submit, that was just what appeared to be the best piece that I had written. And so the way I kind of consoled myself with doing that was like, okay, yeah, people are going to read this and they're going to understand that something has happened. But if someone else is able to take that and find you know, like the comfort in, like someone understands what I've been going through. Something is shared, you know, someone understands because like, especially when it comes to like sexual assault and rape, which was like the subject of that poem, 
it is definitely a very isolating feeling. And especially when you know no one who has gone through it personally or you're with very, you know, you have very strict figures in your life, you don't get, I don't want to say sympathy, but no one bothers to give you the time of day. They're just like, okay, that's great. You're used, you're done, and you had nothing to say with it. But it doesn't matter because it's like, well, what can you do now, you know? And so I think being able to speak about it was kind of both a form of relief, but at the same time, I was like, if someone else reads this and finds something in it, then I, I'm justified in admitting that something happened to me and I'm justified in putting my work out. Like, I didn't want to just put out work in order to be like, look, I'm published and accomplished, like, yay me. Uh, I definitely wanted to say something. Yes, the purpose so, of it. No, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I completely agree. And so I was focusing a lot on the past now. <laughs> this semester's uh, yeah, publication, yeah. Uh, this semester's publication, Mythic. What does myth mean to you? How do myths play into you being a writer and your experience with poetry and writing? Okay. Well, I guess when you look at a myth, you can say it's a story. And it's a story like with some lesson to teach you. Usually, like if you look at a Greek myth or if you look at even like a Bible passage, it usually has something to say, whether it's moralistic or whether it's like, this is how something happened. Here's an explanation. Um, and I think that's very, very powerful. And I do think that's like the essential of writing. It's like, like you have to have a story to say. You can't just put words on a page and hope it works out. Like even in experimental writing, it always has something to say. And I think the fact that myths are viewed in two different ways, like you can have someone who looks at um, like like I said, the Bible, and take that as literal word, like, you know, Genesis literally happened. Adam and Eve happened. That's a thing. And, you know, you can't change that view. It's so deeply ingrained, and it completely affects and changes and shapes a person. But on the other hand, you can have an atheist who looks at it and it's like, yeah, that's a cool story. Great. I think that myths are essentially like the embodiment of art and just the just the two different directions that it can go. Either it means something to someone or it doesn't. And so... While I do have certain myths and, um, you know, religious beliefs that are important to me, at the end of the day, I look at them as stories and either I take something from them or I don't. And I kind of use that to inspire my own work. Look at what has been said and say, like, okay, what can I do in response to this? Which I guess kind of links to, like, modernist poetry if you look at the cantos from Ezra Pound and how he was basically rewriting the Iliad from Homer and just, like, a bunch of stuff. I think myths are just so ingrained in our you know, in our own development that we can't really get away from them. The best we can do is, like, respond to them or re-express them um, in whatever way means something to us, if that makes sense. I agree with uh, the idea of, of narratives and the roles in which they play in our life. And uh, you've talked about how, I guess, the religious narrative has come into your life and how that's yeah. impacted you. <laughs> do you want to talk specifically, like, what are some myths that you believe in or okay. have impacted okay. you? Okay, from the Catholic tradition, I'll grip on to, like, certain uh, aspects or even, like, little tidbits of, like, the saint stories that most people find grotesque and uh, stuff they just don't want to pay attention to. So, like, this... Blind eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, everyone loves the saints, but they don't really pay attention to how the saints died. It's like, this the saint was really great for, you know, spreading the word of God. But I'm like, okay, but St. Lawrence was literally, like, burned alive. Then he was like, turn me over. I'm not done on the, I'm done on this side already. And I was just like, oh, that's so great. Go out with a sense of humor. Like, good for you. <laughs> and everyone's just, like, horrified by, like, all that stuff that I drift to. Like, there's even, like, I forget the name of the a person involved but she was basically she was raped and then she spoke out about it and as punishment for soiling this man's reputation she was locked in a den of lions to be eaten and that just didn't happen because like 
supposedly God spoke and the lions protected her. And I'm pretty sure, I haven't read it since like I was a kid, but I'm pretty sure like the rapist was either mauled by lions or died somehow. That's and crazy. Yeah. So like, I'm definitely really, really drawn to like, I don't know, things with justice or things with like a morbid twist because it's just stuff that is always... Yeah, I don't know. I've always been interested in, like, even if you look at Greek mythology, like, it sounds cliche, but, like, the Hades and Persephone myth, like, <laughs> I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, take it's you cute. to the underworld. Don't eat anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, uh, well, if I eat something, I get to stay, and there's a pretty cute dude who's, like, the king, so. <laughs> I love you. It goes both it. ways. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> If you could, this is a little fun one. <laughs> Throw if it. you could make everyone, either in the world or at Western, oh gosh, believe in one myth. Oh no! I don't what even would know. It be? I don't even and know why. what I would do with this. Oh my! Take God. a minute to think. It's all good. Definitely a good question. Huh? Okay, I think I'm gonna go with the conception of Horus. Because I'm oh my god I'm terrible with names because again this is all stuff I was like grade five we mentioned like ancient Egypt in class and I was like oh my god cool we take the brains out of the noses of dead people awesome but I'm pretty sure his mom is Isis and um, so her husband Osiris was murdered by Set so obviously ringing a bell yeah continue yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's all good so she's very very distraught and somehow she manages to like reconstruct her husband's dead body. And has, like, necrophiliac sex with him and then conceives Horus, which is, like, the weirdest thing. (laughs) When you think of, like, religion, like, based on, like, my Catholic upbringing, you think of what is, like, you know, Virgin Mary. Like, it's pure and good and there's nothing involved that's kind of questionable. And it's like, no, we're just going to screw our dead husband because, let's face it. So, and then Horus, like, basically, like, just came out and there's different... um, interpretations of like where he has come out from so like my favorite one is like he comes out of like the throat and I just think that's powerful because it says so much about like just having something to say and and something to do and accomplish and so essentially like you can go on forever with the rest of the myth but like Horus ends up defeating Set and then like Egypt is reconciled and he's like the guardian of Egypt and all that but I just I don't know that myth is so strange and obscure and like like I said it's got some questionable things in it and I just I love that about it like it's just so strange and obscure so I would go with that one just because it's interesting (laughs) no it completely fits in like I'm I know you're excited for mythic yep yep (laughs) I I saw that come out and I was just like oh my god I can speak oh thank god and I was just like literally sitting for three months and like, oh my god what do I write about what do I write about I've got so many things and yeah anyway so so, so how did profit come to be like you just you just sat down is that your I yeah (laughs) typically what I do this sounds awful but I'll like sit and I'll look at a theme and I'll be like that's great I want to write something and then I'll just be stuck for like months or weeks or however long is left and then the night before I'm like aha idea and then I just write it in one draft and I send it off which is awful you should always get your work edited don't do what I do (laughs) (laughs) but essentially I was just kind of like working on some essays and I thought you know like writers can kind of be considered prophets if you consider like because prophets essentially like Ezekiel who's referenced in like the poem that I have there um you know spoke the word of God and there's like this literal part in the the book of Ezekiel where God like brings down this book and he calls it a roll and I don't know why you would call it a roll because whenever I think of a roll I think of bread and bread sounds delicious but I would not want to eat a book so he literally (laughs) makes Ezekiel yeah I was just like I don't know 
to go with it, I guess, but he, like, literally makes Ezekiel eat a book, and then he just goes around spewing the word of God quite literally, and maybe it's because he ingested the book. But um, I just kind of thought of how, like, as a writer, my entire life I've ingested different novels and different poetry pieces and things that have inspired me, and then it all just kind of, like, bubbles out. And, you know, who's to say what is the word of God and what isn't? Like, I don't know. I'm not going to say, like, I'm definitely a prophet, but I think the idea of um, having the writer be a prophet and saying something that, like, either was meant to be said or like has some higher purpose is very interesting i don't know necessarily whether i buy into it or not because <laughs> there are so many writers out there and a lot of questionable books i'm looking at you 50 shades of gray uh, <laughs> um but yeah i just i was fascinated by that idea so i sat down and i was like all right we're gonna take some quotes out of ezekiel and we're gonna kind of turn the prophet into an everyday poet and see what happens. I love it. I love it so much. Perspective, <laughs> narrative, it's amazing. <laughs> My family would say, oh, you're going to be damned. <laughs> <laughs> do you get that a lot? Do you, do you have oh, their support gosh. in terms of, like, do they know you write? Do oh, they have they read your stuff? in terms of my writing? Uh, when I was four years old, I read my first book, and I went to my mom, and I was like, that's what I want to do. And she's like... I don't get it. And I was like, well, what that person did for me, I want to do. Like, I wasn't very good at articulating. I was four years old. But I just, like, that story made me happy. And it, it just, it was something that had some significance to me. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And I never changed my mind. My mom definitely tried to force me into the way of science because, like, that's where, she's like, she's a biologist, immunologist. Like, that's where her education comes from. My brothers are very scientific and mathematical. No one really knows where I came from. I just kind of, I don't know, maybe maybe God just threw me down. I was like, well, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> but, yeah, so they, they know I write, but they're not, uh, they've never been supportive of it. I got my first publication done, and I gave it to her, and she's like, wow. That's great. And didn't even look at it. And then she called me the next day and she's like, so I ran into parents of some kid I went to high school with. And she's like, oh, so how's your kid doing? My kid's published. And I was just like, oh, you do not get to say, you don't get to be a writer. And then like use me as brag bait. Like that's just not a thing. Mm. So it's definitely like they don't support it, but they will use it to make themselves look better, which sounds awful. And I'm not definitely, I'm not saying like I'm so superior that I'm fantastic and I make them look better, but like I don't, I don't agree with the morals of it. And uh, like that's. Additionally, like why I changed my name within the uh, hyphen publication, I just kind of got to a point within this year where I was like, you know what, they've never supported me. They've never done anything to like further my creative career. So why should their names be attached to my work? They have no right. So, I mean, I mean, the word solo kind of speaks for itself. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming. It was such a pleasure speaking to you. I thank you for having me. Honestly, (laughs) it's been an honor, honestly. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 